All right, uh, in your bulletin, uh, there is an outline for us to look at together that we are uh, working together to think about what Jesus did for us through the cross. This month, we are focusing on the cross and the resurrection. Actually, next Sunday is what we're actually calling Cross Day, and then we'll have the resurrection celebration on the 27th. Uh, we are thinking together, being reminded of the magnitude of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Uh, and we're still focused on it. You know, some 1,900, 800 plus years, uh, 1,980 days or years, excuse me, get myself together. Um, it was, uh, we still talk about it. We're still focused on it, what it means, what Christ has done for us. He is the one that has come to make sacrifice for us, to forgive us of our sins, and to be this innocent Savior, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that took the weight of our sin upon himself, the sin of the whole world. So as we've been moving toward the cross, next Sunday we'll be right on that passage in John 19 about the crucifixion itself. But as we're moving toward the cross, we are thinking about the trials that Jesus went through uh, in facing uh, this, the crucifixion that was coming. So we recognize the night before Jesus was arrested that he was brought to Annas, the former high priest, Caiaphas, the current high priest, who was his son-in-law, and an assembly of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin, which was like a Jewish governmental body. And after he was taken... Uh, to them, he eventually went to Pilate, the Roman governor. Uh, he was sent to Herod and then returned to Pilate, who finally sentenced him to death. So we have these six parts of what is called the trials of Jesus. Three stages of it is a religious court, three stages before a Roman court. Jesus was tried before Annas, the one that still had a lot of power, even though he was sort of the retired or um, the the a high priest emeritus or something like that. Um, he was the former high priest. Caiaphas, his son-in-law, was the current high priest. And these religious trials were based on a, a sentence of blasphemy uh, to Christ, claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah. The trials before the Jewish authorities, these religious trials, showed how much the Jewish leaders hated Jesus uh, because they carelessly disregarded even some of their own laws to carry out this judgment against him. The trials with the Roman authorities started with Pilate. Jesus is beaten, and the charges brought against him at this place are very different than the charges in the religious trials. These charges are like inciting people to riot or to forbid people to pay their taxes, which Jesus never did, and claiming to be a king. Pilate really had no reason. He found no reason to kill Jesus, so he sent him to Herod. Herod simply ridiculed him, but didn't want to have a thing to do with it because of political liability. So he sent Jesus back to Pilate for the final sentencing. This was the last trial as Pilate tried to appease the animosity and remove um, uh, the animosity from the, from the Jewish people. So he decided to have him scourged or flogged or simply beaten, however you want to describe that. The Roman scourge was a terrible whipping designed, designed to remove flesh 
from the back of the one that was being punished. And in uh, a final effort to get Jesus released, Pilate offered uh, the prisoner Barabbas to be crucified, Jesus to be released, but to no avail. The crowd called for Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be crucified. Pilate granted their demand and surrendered Jesus to their will. The trials of Jesus then represent the ultimate mockery of justice. Jesus, the most innocent man in the history of the world, found guilty of crimes that he didn't commit and sentenced to death by crucifixion which was, by the way, where the Father intended for him to be all along, to give himself for you. So I'd like us to consider an innocent Savior who took upon himself all the suffering and the sacrifice just for you, just for me, just for us, really for the whole world. It was definitely not easy for him. Do you agree with that? It was not easy. It's tragic. It's horrifying. It's traumatic. It was not easy, but it was worth it. Uh, I'll say it was not easy, and you say uh, the worth it. Ready? It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. It was worth it. And we're going to see that uh, throughout our, our scripture as we look at it today. So we're in the last part of 18, verse 28, through the end of chapter 18, and in the first 16 verses of chapter 19. So we see Jesus in 1828 uh, coming before Pilate. It's the Roman trial. And what, uh, what are the charges? Um, Pilate says, what charges are you bringing against this man? They respond. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Isn't that a great answer? You know, we don't have really an answer, but if we didn't think there was something wrong, we wouldn't have brought him here anyway. Uh, so sort of self-identifying their own place. Take him, they say, and judge him according to your own law. No, they said, we want Jesus tried for a capital offense. And so that's really what's going on here. They are looking to have Jesus crucified. And the only way they could do that was to bring the Roman government in as a part of well. So Pilate brings Jesus in and cross-examines him. Now notice the questions that he asks. Uh, first in verse 33, he says, are you the king of the Jews? Then in 35, do you think I'm a Jew? What is it that you have done? Pilate asked. And then in 38, a famous response, he says, what is truth? Now, what you notice with these questions is, is they reveal a lot more about Pilate and us than they do about Jesus, these questions that, that he has. So when Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? First thing he confesses is that he confesses that he has knowledge. He has knowledge of Christ. Uh, the first thing Pilate says is that he zeroes in, are you the king? Do you think you're a king? This is what I've heard about you. Um, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, later in the story, we find Pilate trying to wash his hands of the whole situation like he didn't know anything about it, but he betrays himself because he realizes that he knows more about this story than he's letting on. He says, do you think I'm a Jew? In that moment, he confesses his prejudice, his prejudice. Who do you think I am? I'm no Jew. And you can hear in the tone of his voice, in the way that he, uh, the way that he says it. Are you thinking 
Uh, Jesus says, uh, are you thinking of a Roman king or a Jewish king? Uh, is this your idea that maybe you want to have faith in me? He's, he's like moving toward him. Do you think I'm a Jew? History tells us that the Roman government generally hated the Jewish people that they were serving. It, it dawned on me when I was reading this and thinking about Pilate and his interaction with Jesus, um, how, how often prejudice kind of gets into our experience. Uh, did you know that prejudice was a problem in Jesus' day and it's still a problem in 2019? Can you believe that? Help us, Lord, right? He's, he's reminding us. Here's what I'd say to you. Um, there is no place for prejudice in a relationship with Jesus Christ. No place for it. Because the people that we struggle with, the people that we dislike, the people that we put down, uh, whether it might be women in some way or a, um, a minority in some way or however you want to view all that, maybe somebody that came against you or caused difficulty, you know, all of those people, Jesus died for them on the cross. Every one of them. All of those people created by the hand of God. Not one of you in here, not one person in here, not loved and created and known by God. So we uh, we going to decide that we have prejudice. I know there's prejudice because I, I hear, you ever go on Facebook? Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? That, I mean, there's a lot of good things about that. Don't write me. And you know, I, I know, I, I read all that. But people ran about their prejudices on there as well. Um, you know, just revealing all of that that's going on around us. There is no place for prejudice against anybody in the Christian faith. And that's exactly what's happening right here. It's, you can recognize how he's responding to him. Then the third question, uh, he says, what is it that you have done? That, that's really a confession of humanity or a confession of weakness. Even though he's the Roman governor, he seems to be a very weak man. Uh, John doesn't tell us, but another gospel does about Pilate's wife that comes from, to him and tells him that she had a dream. Guys, you have to always listen to your wife. <laughs> Pilate would have been better off if he had paid attention there. Um, she said, don't have anything to do with Jesus. There's something wrong in this situation. So here we have this very powerful man, Pilate, who gets caught up in the greatest event in human history, and he has no clue like what's going on in this situation. Finally, he asked the question, what is truth? He asked that in response to something that Jesus said. Jesus seems to be trying to get Pilate's attention, maybe even to witness to him. So Jesus says, you're wrong in saying I'm a king. Excuse me. You're right in saying I'm a king. For this reason, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You, you can feel him kind of trying to draw Pilate uh, toward him. Are you on the side of truth, Pilate? Then Pilate confesses his cynicism. That, that's what he shows us about himself. Uh, what is truth? You can almost hear him kind of being cynical in that. What is truth? He's standing face to face with the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, and he couldn't see it. He, uh, he couldn't uh, recognize it. 
Do you know that just because I can't see it and understand it doesn't make my position right? I have to think about that one. Soak on that just for a little second. See, we, we think sometimes that if, if I don't understand that situation, I don't understand what they're saying, then I, then I must be right. You know, there is, there is so much effort to judge before we communicate. You know, it's a lot easier to judge than to communicate, right? You know, I see this occasionally where um, somebody has decided that this is wrong, now, I'm not talking about you. It's that other person sitting across the way over there. Um, but you decided that that's wrong. You know, I'm going to take a stand against this thing. Well, it's so much easier to judge somebody or to judge the situation than it is to actually get in a conversation and figure out what's happening there. Why, why is that happening? What's happening? You know, we can, uh, we're, we're not called in a relationship just to, you know, if you don't like cynicism, how you like snarky? That might catch some of you better. Uh, you know, just um, recognizing, we, you know, we talk about this all the time, how, how easy it is in the, the work we do in the South Side and some of the different things that are happening in our ministry over there that is, is so easy for people to make judgments about people because of their economic situation, because of their race, because of their circumstance in their life, where... Uh, I tell her all the time, you know, this, um, we, we, we have meetings, man. We're, we're meeting people, man, because you got to take time to work through circumstances and understand people rather than making judgments against them. That's exactly, you know, Pilate didn't, he wasn't interested in having a conversation with Jesus. He wasn't interested in really understanding the truth. He just wanted to be a smart aleck. What is truth? You hear him? He's responding to that situation. And it's such a reminder to us. Aren't you glad that Jesus helps us know how to respond to prejudices? How to respond to snarkiness and uh, contempt or even hatred of us? So we can see him being so cynical there when he's face to face with Jesus. He needed a king, didn't he? The king needed a king. And I need a king. And you need a king. And Jesus is the king of kings. He's the king. That's really the verdict. Pilate discovered that Jesus was a different kind of king. He was not a king of this world. He came to tell the truth. He was rejected by his own people, but ultimately he is the king of kings. When Jesus said to Pilate, I am a king, that was a crucial moment, a crucial moment of deciding. And we have to make that same decision. Is Jesus your king? Is he the one that is in uh, control uh, in your life? He's encouraging us. You know, it's a terrible, I meet people occasionally that live with cynicism and negativity in their heart. That's a hard place to live because Jesus comes and offers compassion, compassion. He wants to show us the truth that can change our life, that we don't have to live in that cynicism. And so that's the verdict. Jesus is the king of kings. So all throughout this, you can see the contrast between the Roman army and Jesus and the, uh, the high priest and Jesus and now Pilate and Jesus. He's drawing a contrast and he's recognizing that the one who looked like he was supposed to be the representative of the greatest king, the Caesar uh, of that day, as Pilate and he face off together, you realize where the real power is and the power is in the name of Jesus. 
The power is in Jesus Christ, uh, the one that has come to offer salvation to us. Really, it's, the, it's throughout the whole book of John that we've been studying. John, over and over again, he's not just wanting you to know who Pilate is and remember, he wants you to know who Jesus is and how Jesus recognizes who we are. So you have to decide. As you come to Jesus, you know, Jesus is on trial in our lives. So how would you describe your relationship with Jesus? Would you say it's questioning or trusting? Questioning or trusting? Um, God, why are you doing this? What are you doing in my life? I'm not sure that I really am happy about these situations going on. What am I going to do in my life? Why, why can't I just do things my way? Questioning or trusting? God, I don't really understand what's happening, but I know that you're bigger than my circumstances. You know how much, how difficult this is, but I know that you're telling me to put my trust in you. That's what it means for you to be king. You know, he is, he is wise. He is holy. He is good. He is our king. He offers us counsel and guidance unto uh, us. With him as the king, we look to him and we follow his steps. Uh, in Jesus' case, we can trust him as our king, our counselor, our guide. He's the one that is guiding us as we put our trust fully in him. Is Jesus the one that you're trusting? Or is Jesus being questioned in your life like Pilate? Uh, you, you can do that. You can put your trust. Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ is King of Kings. Jesus Christ is the innocent and pure Savior that we see in these trials. It was not easy for him, but it was, it was worth it. It was worth it that he sacrificed himself to us and that we put our trust in him. So now we move to chapter 19. Chapter 19, such a sacred place in Scripture as it reveals to us this, this movement, this coming sentencing of crucifixion, and ultimately next week as we see the crucifixion. Two things that you'll notice about John 19. One thing is to be reminded that it is an eyewitness account. It's an eyewitness account. You know, we have... Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the only one of those four that writes about the crucifixion that was at the crucifixion himself was, the, was John the Apostle. He's the one that was there, so he's able to offer us uh, testimony about what has taken place. The apostle ends up being the one apostle there at the cross. So he's writing as an eyewitness, an eyewitness account of the cross of Christ. It's different than any of the other Gospels. So we have an eyewitness, somebody who is actually sitting there watching this unfold. And then the second thing that helps us with chapter 19 is the purpose for which it was written. And it was written not just to give you historical interest in what happened to Jesus. He testified as an eyewitness so that you might believe and that through believing you might have life. You know, when, when, I, when, you, look at the, when you look at the scenes that happen here that John reveals to us, he's showing us the cross and he's showing us that we're not just having pity for Jesus. That's not what he asked you to do. He asked you to put your trust in him. That the sacrifice he made wasn't just an incredible sacrifice, but it was a sacrifice that he gave just for you. It enables us to trust Christ more and more. So John 19, verse 1, it gives us a picture. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
John says that when you think about this day of the cross, that Jesus is brought and whipped, flogged, scourged, all three of those words uh, can apply there. It's when uh, they used a cat of nine tails and whipped him with pieces of bone and lead tied into it. You're going to see a picture here uh, of Jesus uh, being cuffed there to the, to the stump so that they could beat him. They would use a whip that had bone and metal and lead into it. They would use, um, use that flogging. They would flog him, beat him 39 times. They felt like 40 would kill you. So 39 was their number. Uh, they would count it out. Um, the lead on the whip would bruise the body and the bone or metal would cut into the skin and rip uh, the skin. Remember the suffering. Remember the torture that Jesus went through on the way to the cross. Do you, do you remember why? I mean, why Jesus was flogged like this? It was rare in their time for a person to be flogged and to be crucified. It was usually like one punishment or the other. So it ends up that Jesus has both. Someone who received a flogging, that was the greatest punishment outside of crucifying them on a cross. It was like giving somebody two punishments. So why? Why did Jesus have to enter and endure more than anyone? One was uh, sort of a political reason. I mean, it wasn't just that Pilate hated Jesus. He didn't hate Jesus the way the Jews did. Uh, but he recognized that uh, Pilate was hopeful that he could kind of do away with Jesus. So the Jews see him flogged and beaten and punished, and that maybe they would no longer have a problem with Jesus. He got his punishment. Uh, it would be like a political solution to the greatest problem in human history. What was Pilate going to do with Jesus? So we get that picture. We can see that. Then it shows us the taunting that happened. There's a second picture that'll show that. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, clothed him in purple, and they went up to him again and again and said, Hail, O King of the Jews, and struck him in the face. Some of the other gospels say they blindfolded Jesus and they struck him and would say, Who was it that struck you? If you're really the Son of God, you would know. It was a common thing for, thing for the Roman soldiers they would do. When they had a prisoner who was theirs, they would make fun of him and taunt him. It was kind of like a game. They would put a robe on him, get a, a, a reed or something in his hand, and they would taunt him and uh, hit him and strike him. And the scripture there in verse 3 says, again and again, over and over, uh, this happened. It's a particular word that realized that they didn't just hit him once. They didn't just taunt him one time. It went on over and over again. And John remembers. John remembers this beating. God, John remembers this taunting that took place. And he wants us to recognize that when we consider the innocent Savior Jesus and all that he took upon himself and how he was beaten repeatedly, it was not easy but it was worth it. It was worth it. He took the punishment upon himself. It was worth it. John 19, 4 through 12 gives us another scene. 
he begins to, John begins to set up this picture of how Jesus was finally sent to the cross. The flogging and the taunting uh, should have been enough, but it wasn't. But in verse 4, it says, Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I don't find any basis for charges against him, none at all. When he came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple rose, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And so we see them uh, there on the, on the porch uh, at the palace and he's saying to them here, you know, maybe you think he's saying, here's the man. Here's this awesome man. No, he's saying, here's, here's this pitiful looking man. And you want us to crucify him. Why? Uh, he's nothing to be scared of. But even his words betray him. I mean, can you imagine John toward the end of his life sitting down to write these words and to describe for us what happened in the life of Jesus and to think back and to remember this crowd and remember Pilate bringing Jesus before him and him standing there that, with that robe on that the soldiers had put on him and the, the people are ridiculing him and Pilate is shouting, here's the man. You know, one of the things we do passion play I notice Kim is always trying to recruit people to be in that crowd. Crucify him, crucify him. You know, uh, most, I, I don't want to be in that crowd. I never volunteer for that. We have a few people that want to do it. But it brings you to that point of realizing and thinking about what exactly happened that day as he stands before uh, the crowd. Don't you realize, Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? You would not have power at all were it not uh, for me. So not only does Pilate bring him out before the crowd, uh, Pilate comes with him one-on-one. -on -one. Face to face, they come together. Um, yeah, I think Jesus most powerfully affects us when we come together one-on-one. -on -one. You, you know his spirit is in this room. You know, you can avoid him. You can be thinking about what you got to do this afternoon or next week. But what he really wants you to know is that he's in this room to come face to face with you. Just like Pilate, just like he did over and over throughout the gospels, just like he continues to come and to minister to you. He knows your name. He knows where you are, knows what you're dealing with. Pilate took Jesus aside and he says those words. Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the power over you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Now, we don't know if he's talking about Judas or the religious authorities or maybe even Satan. But it says from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But Jesus kept on, kept shouting, if you let this man, excuse me, the Jews kept on shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Isn't this amazing? Sad? Here's Jesus with his back beaten from the scourging. He's wearing a robe and a thorn of crowns. The crowd's against him. The entire Roman government is behind Pilate and all the strength of that. And Pilate says, why don't you answer me? Why don't you speak up for yourself? I can free you. I can crucify you. I have the power over you in this situation. And Jesus said, mm-mm. You don't have the power over me. God has all power. 
He is the one who delivered me to this place. The confrontation teaches us something that we need to be reminded of in our life, a perspective that we need to continue to rediscover. No one has the power in this world except it is given to them by God. No one has the power. I need to continue to rediscover that. Nobody has the power except what is given to them by God. So you might think, well, they have power over you. They don't. God has all power. He gives people power. Uh, it's not your boss. It's not the government. It's not the people. It's, it's God. You know, I, the other day I was thinking about this, and um, Kim was uh, on, a, on a trip and helping her mother. And so uh, something came up, and she was having this problem. And so she calls me, and she says, okay, I need you to, I need you to fix this situation. You, you ever get those calls, husbands, you know? Uh, so um, she said, this is what you need to do. And she was telling me to, to make this call. And as soon as I hung up, which I said, okay, I'll do it. But when I hung up, I thought, whew, what am I going to do here? Because <laughs> this could get really complicated and messed up. You know how you get in those situations? It doesn't really matter what it was. You know, you just know that the people that you're going to be talking to can make this really complicated and messed up. And so I said, okay. Or I call. I'm going to spend a little time praying. So I prayed about 10 minutes. And I said, Lord... You know what, what could happen in this situation? You know this needs to be solved. And um, so um, I got through praying, and I thought, okay, I'm going to look something up on the Internet. So I looked up and to figure something out, and I thought, I'm going to wait to call for a few minutes because I, I thought, as soon as I make this call, it's going to get messed up. So um, I could not believe it. Like, I'm, it was about 10 minutes uh, later, and I get this text from her, and she says, hey, forget about it. They called me. <laughs> they called me and solved the whole situation. I was like, praise God, you know. <laughs> but isn't that how we are? We kind of feel like somebody else has got the power. Or we feel like I got no control. I can't do anything in this situation. But we have the almighty God that is working with us. He's the one in power. It's not Pilate. It's not this. It's that. You know, I, and I'm not telling you it happens like that every time, but it just reminded me. I knew what I was going to preach, and I thought, okay, Lord, it was going to wait. And he just solved that whole situation, just kept my little mouth shut. <laughs> right? He's reminding us that, um, that nobody has the power except which is given to him or her from above. God is all-powerful. So you can see in this situation all he's having to deal with. We are considering the innocent Savior Jesus, the, what he took upon himself for all of us. And it certainly wasn't easy, but it was, it was worth it. So we see all these pictures. The last one is we see Pilate at a place called Gabbatha, the stone pavement. It mentions this particular part. Uh, when I was in uh, the Holy Land, I saw this. And it's an area uh, way down underneath the main road in ancient Jerusalem there. You can walk down there, kind of what they call the Via Della Rosa. Um, but this is way down underneath there. And this is the stone pavement that used to be out in front of the palace. And this was the place of sentencing. This is where they would bring the criminals. And this is where Jesus uh, was, was sentenced on, on that on that final day. And he comes, the, the scripture says right there that they were brought out to the Gabbatha, 
or the stone pavement. Uh, and you can see this in Jerusalem. And uh, even, some, of the, some of the blocks there that are, that are still there, they have uh, like etchings in them where soldiers, remember the soldiers, how they played games around the cross and all that. You can see some of that where they would, there would be markings that they would have etched into the, the stone pavement there. So we recognize that here's Jesus at the very end. Uh, he is ready now uh, to, be, to be sentenced by Pilate. Um, they're outside on the pavement there and Jesus is, is brought there and the sentence is finally pronounced. And then Pilate seeks to wash his hands of the whole thing. He says, take him and crucify him. And so he stands there to wash his hands. You know, you're never going to be able to wash your hands of Jesus. You know, one of these days we all will stand before him and our response will be, what, what did you do with Christ? How did you respond to the suffering and the sacrifice that he brought to us? Let's consider what the innocent Savior Jesus took upon himself for all of us. It wasn't easy, but it was, and you are worth it. We're going to have this song. I want you to think together about uh, what he accomplished, what he did, what he sacrificed on your behalf. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it.
You have some bread and juice if you want to get that ready. Uh, why, was, why was it worth it? It was worth it because he thought you were worth it. He thought it was worth going through whatever it took so that he can make the sacrifice for you. He reminds us through this moment of communion that when we say yes to him, he forgives us. He took the punishment upon himself so that you didn't have to face the punishment. So you and I can be forgiven. So you and I can be set free from the things that hold us in bondage. You're worth it. That's what he said. And he not only said it, he did it. This bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ given for you. As we eat this bread, let it be our yes for what he has done for us. Yes, Jesus, it was worth it. Let's eat together. This juice represents the shed blood of Jesus. We saw his blood when he was beaten running down his face as they crushed the crown of thorns on his head and the blood that he shed as they put him on a cross. Let's drink together, being reminded of what Christ has done for us. It was so worth it. Jesus, thank you as we walked over these two weeks through the arrest in the garden, the betrayal, the denials, all of these people that came against you, Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and the Roman army and Pilate, as your disciples are scattered and there's John, telling us this story. Thank you 
for the sacrifice. Thank you for taking it upon yourself. Thank you for feeling and knowing, proclaiming that we are worth it. You died for us. You took all this suffering for us and we praise you together, Lord. Thank you that it wasn't easy, but it was so worth it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.